This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. All right, welcome in, everybody. Happy Friday. It is On the Clock, a production of Phillies 24-7 and Sports Radio 94 WIP, I guess our country's leading newsbreaker these days. Sports Radio 94 WIP. May or may not have broke Taylor Swift-related rumors. That's not why you're here. That's not why I'm here. I'm Ben Kenny, hanging out with you again a Friday morning, but I must disclose to our great listeners, I'm recording this Thursday afternoon before the Phillies play the Mets, before they start their four-game series at home against the Mets. We are coming off of a two out of three down in Atlanta, a four and two week. So that's what the tone of this is going to be. That's the focus. Next week's show, we'll be entering the final regular season series, and we'll talk about the four-game set with the Mets and then the three against Pittsburgh. There's a lot to get to today coming up a little later on. Who needs the biggest turnaround when they get to the playoffs? I'll give you some names. Think about it. We'll touch on that here in about 15 minutes. And then... The final stretch run is happening across baseball. There are some great races to check in on. We'll do it. And then out of all the teams that are going to make the playoffs, how do they order? What are the tiers of true World Series contenders? And where do the Phillies land? We'll touch on that later on as well. Here's where we're going to start. The Phillies magic number is down to six. We think a lot of contrary and conflicting reports out there. I believe it's down to six. The great Dan Wilson, producer here at WIP, tweets out a picture after the magic number shrinks. He says it's six, so we're going to trust Dan. If it's wrong, don't get mad at me. Get mad at Dan Wilson. They, again, the Phillies, two out of three from the Cardinals and the Braves. Listen, they scrapped together wins this week. Entering the week, remember where we were? We're coming off some subpar baseball. The race with the Cubs, at least, was getting super tight. Now, since then, the Cubs have gone on a slide, and the Diamondbacks have overtaken them. But we knew this team was going to make the playoffs, yet we looked ahead to the Cardinals, a winnable series, a bad team, and then three in Atlanta as a potential death trap. The old Phillies, last year's Phillies, the September Phillies of the last decade, would have gone into Atlanta and laid down flat. Maybe they take one, but they would lose two games in a completely uncompetitive manner. And this team did not. So we're going to give credit to them. We're going to give credit to Rob Thompson. I think it continues the theme of this iteration of the team, whether it's Harper, all the guys batting, whether it's Ranger Suarez, whether it's Wheeler. There's something about last year's team being able to turn it around in the playoffs that has also helped this team this year, I think. Because they've been hit in the face a lot. They faced a lot of adversity, whether it's in-game whether it's coming back in the ways that they have with Harper and Trey Turner only to lose, um, whether it's the Braves just being incredible. Like, they faced adversity, yet you look at the series, I think it's a perfect 
screenshot, a snapshot of where this team is, they're still able when they need to, to scrap together a couple wins when they need it. And they did it in different ways. Zach Wheeler was awesome down in Atlanta. And he said something after the game that I want to touch on. But you go, uh, Aaron Nola was better than he's been, yet that was a game where the bullpen blows it, and now you need a big Bryson Stott hit to come through in extra innings. They're not the Brewers. The Brewers, when they win, it's because the pitching's great and the offense does enough. When they lose, they get crushed because the offense can't hit and the pitching isn't good enough. This Phillies team can win in a lot of ways, depending on who's on the mound and who comes in from the bullpen. But they can win with pitching. They did it in June. They can win with hitting. They did it in August. They can also lose a lot of ways, whether it's, again, the bullpen, whether it's some of the pitchers lower in the rotation, whether it's sometimes the offense not doing it. But I think this week was a huge positive, um, obviously record-wise and what they did to help their playoff standing, but also just in terms of vibes. They took four out of seven. They went four and three this year down in Truist Park, which I believe is the first time they've ever finished a year with a winning record down there. And that's against the Braves, against one of the best offenses, the best team in baseball, one of the best offenses the sport has ever seen. And yeah, they've clinched it and they've gone on somewhat of a skid. Still, going down there and closing out a winning year on the road against Atlanta speaks volumes. It really does. So that's my big takeaway to start this Friday coming out of the week is that the continuation of this team being able to flip switches and find ways to win, but more so they proved to the Braves and I think they proved to themselves that even though you had the, the last four games set against Atlanta, that was close yet. They lost some of those close games after coming back in them. They proved to Atlanta. They proved to us. I think they proved to themselves that while the Braves are amazing in a playoff series, like this is neck and neck. They aren't just going to lay down against what's supposed to be and what is a great Atlanta Braves team. Listen to the last two weeks between the Phils and the Braves. And if you've watched these games, which if you're listening to this, I assume that answer is yes. If you've watched these games, you know how close they've felt throughout all of it. Where even there are times where the Braves go up pretty big, yet you feel like the Phils have some life in them. These games have almost all been super competitive. The last two weeks against Atlanta, a 7-5 to five win, Phillies win. A 7-6 to six loss, a 4-1 to one loss, a 7-1 to one win, a 9-3 to three loss, and then the 6-5 to five win on Wednesday. That's a, that's a, what, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 games, I believe. I might have missed one, but the point stands. That's a competitive series. That is the Phillies, despite their record, being on the level with the best team in baseball that if they win their first round in the playoffs, they are going to face. There's no avoiding Atlanta in the playoffs. If the Phillies beat the Diamondbacks or beat the Cubs, that's where they're going for the second round. And they've proven to the Braves that even though Atlanta will hit, what, Olsen is 52 bombs, Acuna is the MVP, the team front to back is loaded, the Phillies might be the thorn in the Braves' side. And it was awesome to see them prove it yet again this week. And then after the game Wednesday... Zach Wheeler said something I wanted to highlight. It wasn't Wednesday, actually. When did he start? Zach Wheeler started Monday's game. He was great. Penn was clean. Phil's win 7-1. It was the homer barrage. Johan Rojas went to the opposite field. We'll talk about him in a minute. Sir Anthony Dominguez is right, by the way. 
Dominguez told Rojas, you finally hit a home run off a real pitcher, which goes back to the fact that we should not count home runs hit off position players. Anyway, Rojas goes deep. Harper does. JT, Schwarber, Castellanos. That was a great... Uh, Monday's game was clean. It was awesome. We haven't seen a Phillies win that clean in... It feels like forever. And after the game... Now, remember, Wheeler had pitched against the Braves the last homestand and got hit. And got hit really hard. I think the Braves put up six on him. That might have been the game the Phils came back to win. Or at least came back to make it close. But the Braves got him the last time Wheeler faced him. And now he comes down and returns the favor. And after the game, he said... He wanted to prove to the Braves that he was still Zach Wheeler, that he was still that that guy, that when he's on the other side of the mound, whether Spencer Strider's pitching or not, he is to be feared. And he is a guy, like he is that ace caliber pitcher. And we know it. We've watched him pitch. The numbers show it. But there's something to be said about some teams having different players' number. Spencer Strider, for instance, has the Phillies number. He has the number of a lot of teams. But... Zach Wheeler goes up against the Braves and maybe they thought they had him figured out or maybe going into the playoffs that gives the Braves that much more belief that when Wheeler's out there, they'll hit him. He wanted to reassert his dominance and that's what he did. I thought that was an awesome quote. I thought that was showing of what the Phillies believe that they are and and what they can do. So an awesome week. Some other stuff that is of note, both positive and eh, a little bit on the negative side. Nick Castellanos is back. Nick Castellanos is hitting his stride at the right time for this team going into the playoffs. He had a massive Wednesday, just Wednesday in Atlanta, obviously, two home runs, a game-saving play in foul territory in right field. I wanted him to drop it. I wanted him to let that hit foul. There's a runner on third, one out. I believe Craig Kimbrell is on the mound. The game is tied, and if Castellanos catches it, And the Braves pinch runner who is fast gets home. That game's over. Yet he catches it, spins around, throws the guy out at home. I think the way that he kind of spun around and and caught it and then threw made the Braves guy kind of stop for a second and wonder if the ball hit. Anyway, that was an amazing play. And then he goes deep twice. He won Wednesday's game for the Phillies along with Bryson Stott. And you look at his week as a whole. He had 318, 375 on base, an OPS of... 1,239, four home runs total. He's starting to hit the ball out of the ballpark again. And remember, this is when he's down at seven. He's down lower in the lineup on this team. And I speak all the time about how valuable it is to have length in the lineup. For a pitcher not to know, okay, I get past one through six, now seven, eight, and nine are going to be easy. I think, while the 08 Phillies are incredible, I think they had that. I think you go one through six, and they are awesome. And then down at the bottom, it's Ruiz, Felice, and the pitcher. And while I love those players, and they were they were awesome here, not the biggest offensive threats, generally. This Phillies team does not have that. Now, the DH helps, where you're not having a pitcher hit ninth, but I like Castellanos at seven. I don't need to rush him back up near the top of the order, even though he's hitting. Alec Bohm has been awesome in the four hole. We saw it again Wednesday where first two batters of the game walk, Harper hits into a double play, and then Bohm comes up and it's a single. He's been so good with runners in scoring position. I trust him hitting fourth. I'm fine with Stott fifth. And we'll get to the whole lineup in a bit as well. I like Castellanos a little lower. It kind of creates a second lineup within the lineup 
It's how I like to think of it. You go the Schwarber, Turner, Harper, Bohm, foursome, and then you kind of create a second lineup in Bryson Stott, JT, Castellanos, and Marsh, and and flip them around as you want. Just the concept of Stott, kind of a second leadoff man hitting fifth, JT, who we need to get hot, generally speaking, but should be a threat, and then Castellanos seventh, even if you want to move Castellanos up one, that threat being a little later down in the lineup, I think works really well. And clearly, it's freedom up. There's less pressure. So if Rob Thompson wants to move him up, that's fine. Thompson has had such a, a perfect touch with the lineup this year. Turner's gone down at the right time. He has kept Schwarber up at the leadoff, and he's produced. And then you have Castellanos move down. Now he's getting back hot. I think Rob Thompson has done an awesome job with the lineup pretty much the entire season. He's really helped take pressure off guys. He's helped get them back to what they should be just by moving them around. The rest is obviously on the player, but as the manager, I think his tone works, but his management day-to-day of the team works as well. It does not work, however. The one thing I will push back on Thompson now and until we get to the playoffs is I don't need any more Jake Cave. I don't need Jake Cave in there, whether it's a righty on the mound, whether it's a lefty. I don't care. Johan Rojas should be in center field every day. Hit him ninth. I don't care what he gives me offensively, yet he's actually produced quite well. I don't know more Jake Cave in the lineup. He's fine. You want to bring him off the bench. What Johan Rojas brings defensively, and I'll have stats on this in a bit, is unlike anything I've seen a Phillies center fielder ever have. Now, I have not been alive for all of them, so some might know better than myself. What he does to help pitchers, what he does to help other outfielders, I don't want to go through the whole Rojas rant now, but I needed to throw out the Cave thing because I'm good with Jake Cave. I'm good. Seems to be a fine player. He can come off the bench. I don't need him. You don't need to force him in the lineup if a righty is on the mound. That's the one pushback I'll have on Rob Thompson. All right, a few more things before we move on to various other takes about the team. How about Aaron Nola on Wednesday? I, I figure some of you tuned into this show today just to hear how we react to a good Nola start, knowing when the entire world turns on the Phillies' number two pitcher, this show may be the last one to do it. We'll, we'll hang on. We'll hang on to hope. We'll hang on to what he brings to the team value-wise. And then when he does have a good start... We're the first one to turn around and, number one, say he did. Number two, try to project forward. Try to project that he could actually do it in the playoffs. Listen to this. This is the biggest Aaron Nola moment we have had all season. Bigger than Tampa because Tampa, he dominated. They couldn't touch him all day. He had, what, 12 strikeouts in eight innings? St. Louis the other week, he dominated. Those dominant days, we know they exist. They just never come. The worst thing about Aaron Nola's year is that he will have three dominant innings, and you know this, and then the wheels come off in the fourth, or they come off in the fifth. Yesterday was the biggest Aaron Nola moment of the season. Here's why. He comes out against the Braves, again, one of the best lineups of all time. Three perfect innings. He looked like the fastball had life. He's spotting pitches he hasn't spotted in a while. The changeup is getting strikeouts. His, all of his stuff looked like vintage Aaron Nola. For three innings. And then the wheels started to come off. And we could see it a mile away. I saw your tweets. Everybody was burying him before he got buried. Oh, runners go on. It's over. 
The Aranola thing, it's done. In the fourth inning, the Rav fourth inning, which I think has been his death trap. It's been the death trap for the Phillies all season. You got to wonder what, what is that, Toyota? You got to wonder how happy they are about their advertisement and about their partnership when every time the Toyota Rav fourth inning comes, the Phillies start to get flattened. That's, that's aside from the point. Fourth inning, leadoff single, second batter single. Then he strikes out Austin Riley and an RBI single for Matt Olson. So it's a four to one game, maybe two to one at this time. But there are runners on first and second with one out. He's given up three hits and four at bats. He's not missing bats anymore. This is where the homer happens. This is where Aaron Nola always, for this entire season, used to give up the big spot. What happens after that? A line out and a strikeout. He battles out of it, which we haven't seen him do for a majority of this season. And that was moment number one. Then he goes back out for the fifth inning. Fills her up four to one. He gets a line out to start the inning. And then the Braves go double single. So it's four to two. The single score to run. And then you think it's happening again. Four to two, two straight hits. Nola's starting to lose it. And he comes back and gets a ground out and a strikeout. Like this is not a battle. This is not a punchback. We have seen Nola have all year. And he did it against the Braves. So it doesn't mean everything. I don't know. Probably not. Like, he might still go out in the playoffs and suck. I'm very encouraged, though. I'm talking myself into that being a moment where we talk about belief, at least with the Phillies believing that they are toe-and-toe, neck-and-neck with the Braves. Aaronola being able to punch out of these innings changes a lot for the team, given how the bullpen's pitching, given what they need from him pitching second. That was great. That was a, a wonderful experience until the bullpen blows it and they need the stat double to come back and win it. So that's the big stuff from the Brave series. Those are most of my takeaways. You go back to the Cardinal series even. I mean, Ranger Suarez, two straight really good starts. He is firmly 100% implanted in the playoff rotation. It's Wheeler Nola Ranger. And there's actually a scheduling quirk I'm going to touch on next segment that might really benefit the Phillies in this way. But Ranger starting for you in the playoffs, maybe you use him out of the bullpen later on. I don't know. That's going to be interesting to watch. When we preview the playoffs, we'll do it. But that is the main takeaways from a big week of Phillies baseball. It's on the clock. I'm Ben Kenny. We'll come back. I have some other stuff flying around about the team that I want to touch on. We'll talk about Johan Rojas more. We will talk about who needs a big postseason turnaround. All of that is coming up next. It's on the clock. All right, welcome back in. Ben Kenny on the clock. Phillies 24-7, Sports Radio 94, WIP. A, a Something I meant to hit on in the last segment, and I don't want to dwell on this because things are positive and the team's playing well, but the one big negative from the week, and it happened mostly, it was glaring on Tuesday, but this team does have a minor pitching problem. I meant to hit on this before I got into all the other positives from the week, including Castellanos and uh, what Johan Rojas has been doing. But listen, Zach Wheeler and Ranger Suarez are dependable. Ranger, especially after his last two starts. I'm good with them. I'm good with Nola. Fine. After that, can you name more than two dependable pitchers on this team? Taiwan Walker, again, in St. Louis, just 
it, it is a challenge to watch him pitch. He can't find the zone. He throws balls. He gets hit. He was terrible again. Michael Lorenzen. Rob Thompson did the piggyback start. And people talked about it as a scheduled loss, which it kind of is. But not for the reason that Thompson was okay scheduling a loss. For the reason that there isn't a viable starter in this rotation after the third. Chris Sanchez, you could argue, is. Yet, think about if you're Rob Thompson right now. I was speaking about this with, with Tom Kelly before the game. You're, you're piggybacking a Chris Sanchez and Michael Lorenzen start, yet you want to keep San. The reason is you're keeping Sanchez fresh for the playoffs. It's a guy like Lorenzen who has been absolutely atrocious since the no-hitter and cannot get outs. He was terrible against the Braves and maybe at the point where you can't pitch him in the playoffs. That's how bad it's gotten with him. Chris Sanchez, you want to keep him healthy, yet you want to balance winning games and also having a rotation and guys that aren't dead for the playoffs. Think about if the Phillies had already clinched. Everybody would be fine with the strategy of fewer innings for Sanchez, try to get Lorenzen going out of the bullpen. It's a good strategy. It didn't work, and it doesn't work because Michael Lorenzen can't get outs. It's that simple. That's, again, where I defend managers. When people say, oh, why'd you bring in this guy? Why'd you take him out? If you're dealing with a bullpen that is pitching as poorly as the Phillies has for the last couple weeks, it's hard for him to look smart. It's hard for him to be right. And he's trying to figure out this starting rotation. This was a great tool to try to do it. And he got crushed. They got absolutely crushed. And that's not on Thompson for his approach to the game. It's all the fact that Michael Lorenzen can't get out. I'm totally, I'm good with the approach. I want Chris Sanchez to be able to go deep into games in the playoffs and maybe him going three innings for the rest of the year and starts instead of seven. Maybe that's the difference. Like we saw Michael Lorenzen career high in innings, eight shutout his first time here, a freaking no hitter his second start, but he throws 125 pitches and his arm is cooked. His arm's dead. He hasn't been able to miss bats or get outs really since that point. So, that's a concern. There is there's a pitching problem on this team. It's kind of undeniable, and it sucks because you see it down the road. That could be something that costs the team come playoff time. So Anthony, Alvarado, I still think they're okay, but they've had weird spots where they give up runs. And then, obviously, Nola's Nola, even though I'm, I, I'm encouraged by what he's done. Craig Kimbrell is a tightrope. Like a guy gets on base, it's an auto-stolen base. He gets on second, he's able to see the pitches. There's something going on with Kimbrell that I just, I, I'm not in for. Even Jeff Hoffman, who I've argued is one of the more dependable guys, even he gave up a run the other day, uh, uh, on Wednesday. There's a, there's a minor pitching problem on this team. And the fix, well, there are two fixes. Fix number one is the top three starters having Cole Hamill's runs in the playoffs, which is possible. But if they are if they are dominant and then fix two, if the offense scores enough runs, yeah, you can avoid that. You don't need the Astros tight pen that they had going at the Phillies last year. I just uh the offense needs to be very hot. I don't know if there's another way around it. And the other starters have to be great. And maybe there are some turnarounds that can happen, but after the week where they go four and two it just it continues a trend of a couple guys that had already been struggling, continuing to struggle, and now we're 10 games away from the playoffs, and 
I can't trust Michael Lorenzen in the playoffs. I, I can't. The other guys I'll live with because there are no other options and because they've gotten them there. They've gotten them far enough. A guy like Lorenzen and a guy like Taiwan Walker, I'm out. I don't need them starting games in the playoffs. Maybe they, they're like Kyle Gibson, mop-up duty. That's it. That's, that's all I can say that they could do right now. Um, all right, it's on the clock. I'm Ben Kenny. I mean, maybe these guys could be answers to what I'm about to mention. Who needs the biggest postseason turnaround on this team? We spoke at, I started this show at, at midseason, at the All-Star break. I had, number one, said that Zach Wheeler will turn it around, which was somewhat easy to see, and he did. But then I argued, who needs, who needs to turn it around on this team more than anybody else? Many people had said Nola. Many people had said, well, Harper wasn't hitting for power. The answer was always Trey Turner because there was the biggest gap between what he is and has always been and what he had been playing at for the start of the year. Now, since the beginning of August, we have clearly seen what that turnaround looks like and also what it did for the team. So now take that and look forward into the playoffs. Trey Turner's not an answer because he's playing great. Who needs the biggest postseason turnaround? Where is there the biggest difference between what they are and what they should be and maybe what that can do for the team? There are a couple names I would throw out there. There are two I'm focusing on, and I haven't decided yet, but I'll make the case. Number one is Aaron Nola. If you tell me that I can get two runs in six innings or two in seven for every start he makes in the playoffs, maybe save one, maybe gets rocked once, that changes the team's outlook. Because that makes everything, it makes the pitching deeper. You figure if they go up against Atlanta and he could do that, they're winning that game. Then you just need to find a way to win a Wheeler start or a Rangers start. And then you're talking about a, a series victory. Aaron is a big one. Um, what he has been clearly in his career, that, there's the biggest difference between what he is right now and how he's pitching this season. Another one. And, I mean, it, it's hard to keep harping on this because he is such a good defensive player. But JT Romuto continues to be a minor liability on offense. And, and he has been, especially at home, but for a chunk of the season. This week wasn't as terrible as it's been, but he hit 211. His on-base was 250. His OPS was 671. He had one homer down there in Atlanta. And he'll play every day. Because the replacement for him is Garrett Stubbs, who I love to death as a backup and as a culture guy, but he's not hes not doing anything for you on offense except trying to bunt. JT Romuto turning it around and getting to what we saw JT be in the playoffs last season, pretty much, number one, eliminate double plays. Like stop coming up with two guys on and just automatic rollover. But having the ability to be a big offensive threat I'm kind of siding with with that's the guy. That's the turnaround guy that the Phillies need more than anything else. Because I mentioned the lineup. It's deep with Castellanos, and you have the two young guys in the middle that give good at bats and put the bat on the ball and get on base. It could be the power with JT. It's also, he's he's come up with the with runners in scoring position so often this season. And yet, it's it, it's been a struggle. That spot, I feel like, has not come through nearly enough. Actually, here are the numbers. I just pulled it up. Overall on the season, he's played 96 games. He has 122 at-bats with runners in scoring position. In those 
opportunities. That's six highest on the team, by the way. That's ahead of Bryce Harper, who, yeah, missed a month. But number one's Castellanos in terms of at-bats. Then Bohm, Turner, Schwarber, Stott. JT Robuto is right after him. In those at-bats, he's hitting 189 with an on-base of 278 and an OPS of 565. If those numbers go to even what his season-long numbers have been, which is 250 and a little bit more power, but what's that, 70 average points of difference? Man, if JT turns it around in the playoffs, then your lineup from top to bottom, there's not a weakness. Right now, if I speak of the two biggest weaknesses on the team, number one, probably the bullpen. Number two would be the starters aside from Zach Wheeler. But part of me is thinking that's trending in the right direction with Ranger and Ola. Number three, it's JT Romuto on offense. That That's how brutal it's been at times for him. So I, I think about who needs the biggest turnaround in the postseason. He's going to be playing in, in every game, obviously. You're not putting Stubbs in there unless, I mean, listen, Nola had his best start there with Stubbs catching. So maybe that's the battery that the Phillies needed to try earlier. If Garrett Stubbs is the the anecdote for whatever, uh, the antidote for whatever's going on with Nola, then fine. Throw him out there with Nola. I'm good with that. But if it's not, JT's out there. And he needs to hit. He needs to hit for this team to win. It helps the pitching. It helps everything. All right. Uh, it's on the clock. I would throw Castellanos maybe, by the way, in there. But we're kind of seeing that resurgence. Just the concept of lineup depth and guys lower down that can contribute. That's what I need to see. Because they're not going to be able to do what the 08 Phillies did and just not hit for the whole playoffs. Or, or for the whole World Series, excuse me. Um just to go that cold. like Last year's team did it too. They got no hit, and then the offense just sputtered and died right after game three. They need to continue that throughout the entire run, and they need contributions from JT to do it. All right, it's on the clock. Here's here's what I had to mention. I, I had thrown my general thoughts on Johan Rojas out there, but I need to add numbers to them. Johan Rojas should be the starting center fielder on this team every single day. I don't care who's on the mound. I don't care if it's a righty. I don't care if it's a lefty. He's coming off a week, and we'll get to the defensive stuff in a second. He's coming off a week where he hits 438 with an OPS above 1,000. He hits a home run. He has two doubles. He's actually contributing on offense, and, and, and that's the key. It's like a catcher, a great catcher. Sometimes they are liabilities with the bat. But you take that because of how great they are at managing a pitching staff and catching, which I argue for that position is more important. So you're fine with that. You bat him eighth, you bat him ninth, fine. That's what Johan Rojas was for a little bit when he came up. It's like, okay, he is maybe the best defensive center fielder we've seen ever, but it's going to take a bit with the bat. And I'm fine with that. If he is a replacement level hitter, I'm good. Because when he's out there, He's done this, what, in, in two months, I believe? 320 or so innings so far. He has 14 defensive runs saved. Only five MLB outfielders have accumulated more than him this season. And they've all played 900 innings. Yoan Rojas has played a third of the time as most of the top outfielders. And he has amassed more defensive value just in that time than most of them have. It's incredible. And it doesn't only help the pitcher. Because think about it, your Ranger or Wheeler 
and you do give up sometimes some gappers or bloopers into center. Number one, compare it to Odubel Herrera. And then second, think about what it does to the rest of the outfield. Now Brandon Marsh, and I think Matt Gelb posted a picture of this. Marsh had a big catch against the Braves that was literally on the left field line. He's playing left field, but he's able to shade so much further over because of Johan Rojas's range and because of what Rojas can do with the glove. Even though it doesn't look like he's running fast, this dude is under everything. It's unbelievable. So, And that goes for Castellanos, too. The two corner outfielders are helped greatly. They could play closer to the line. It really eliminates just so much space on the field, having a guy like that. So we speak of how we can how the pitching staff can be helped. Like that's the answer. He should be hitting every single day and playing out there every day. So fine, just throw him down at ninth, call it a day. Whatever he gives you is a bonus. And there's some there's just a weird energy with this team where I feel like he's getting a big hit in the playoffs. I feel like he's coming through with like a big two run double in the division series to clear the bases or to I don't know, a big very significant hit. It just feels like he's going to do it. That's the vibe I get. Um, so speaking of him hitting ninth, I think earlier this week, the Phillies had what I would have as my wild card game one lineup, a- at least what they should have as that lineup, save for one flip, which I'll get to. But it's clear as day. It's Kyle Schwarber leading off DH. It's Turner at short, Harper at first, Bohm at third, hitting fourth, which I mentioned earlier. I love Bryson Stott, second base, fifth. JT Romuto catching sixth. I'm fine moving him down to seventh, but I mentioned earlier the concept of having two lineups in your lineup. It kind of works if you have a Schwarber, Turner, Harper, Bohm for some up top, and then a Stott, JT, Castellanos next and right. That trio down below. And then Marsh who is walking at an awesome clip. He hasn't been hitting great. He's kind of gotten cold again, and we just have to cross our fingers and pray he gets hot again. But he gets on base, and he he works counts, which for your aid hitter, that's all you can ask for. He plays left, and then Rojas in center. And that's it. That's the lineup. That's what they should go into the playoffs with. Where, listen, I meant to get to this in the Braves segment too, but maybe pushing this off until now is better. If you're still listening at this point, you probably have a uh, an interest in the team that's deep enough to be able to hear about how bad it's been when they face Spencer Strider. How, how bleak it truly is when Strider's on the mound. I was on with John Johnson the other night. He was running through the dominance. Strider got him again in the 9-3 to loss. Harper did get him for a homer, but he was mowing them down. Like a million strikeouts again. The pants are tight. The mustache is there, and we know what happened in the playoffs last year. We know the the Spencer Strider implosion that was caused by Reese Hoskins. Well, it was caused by Stott. Hoskins took advantage, and then Harper did right after that. Since that point, where he wasn't healthy, wasn't healthy at all pitching in the playoffs last year, since that point, he's 7-0 and against the Phillies in the regular season, and it hasn't been close. And that's going to be the guy that you're going to face in Atlanta for game one and game four, which kind of sucks to hear. You're going to hope you're going to steal one. But it got me thinking, given how everything lines up in the playoffs, where the Phils will have to play hopefully a two-game series before and sweep that one and then go into the division series. 
I think there may be a blessing. Now, hear me out. If you're a golf fan, this will resonate. If you're not, I swear it makes sense. On Sunday of the Ryder Cup, there are 12 singles matches where the captains put together a 1 versus 12 lineup and then they put them together and and those guys play each other. You do it blindly, though. You submit your lineup, they submit theirs, and you see how they line up. The goal of the captain is to have your worst player, number 12, play their number one, be a somewhat sizable underdog, pray that they can they can flip the match and have a big upset in order for the rest of your lineup to be favorites. The goal would be have 12 face one and then have your number one face their two, your two versus their three, just so you're favored in as many matches as possible. That's what the math would say would be the best way to do it. It's kind of lining up so the Phillies could have that too. Now, we would need to see how the Braves, how the uh, rotation aligns. And not to say the Phillies will be favorites in all these games, but if Strider goes one, I'm totally good if you have Aaron Nola or Ranger Suarez um, pitching. Well, Nola wouldn't because they would go Wheeler-Nola in the wild card. It'd be Ranger game one against Strider. I don't think Ranger would be phased by that, obviously. And, okay, the Phillies might lose that game. Okay, guess who you have going game two? Zach Wheeler. Because there's a weird extra off day between game one and game two of the division series. So if the Phillies win the wild card series in two, they would go in the division Ranger, Wheeler, Nola, Ranger, Wheeler. Which, that's only a three-man, and it works perfectly because you get Ranger against Strider the first time. That's fine. You're a big underdog. Then you get the advantage when Wheeler's on the mound in game two. Try to save or try to steal that game, come back to Philly. You get Nola in game three, who's probably probably going to be an underdog, but still not facing Strider. And you get Ranger against Strider again. It's like you're praying, really, that you are favorites with Wheeler and Nola on the mound and chalk up the Strider games to losses. Because the worst thing that can happen is Wheeler goes up against Strider twice and loses both games. Then you have your, your ace is gone, and you have Nolan and Ranger trying to muster up those wins for the rest of them. So if that makes sense, this is me talking myself into them beating the Braves. If that wasn't clear enough already. But the extra day off between Game 1 and Game 2 helps the Phillies greatly because they're able to not have to go to Sanchez. You're just talking about the top three. Maybe Sanchez goes to the pen. You're, you're much more versatile in that way in the playoffs. And it could line up well if they don't have to have Wheeler go up against uh, Strider twice. So um, there's hope. I have hope. I don't know. Um, I also, I, I wrote this down again. I talked about it last week, but uh, the Nebraska deadline's a disaster. It's the same Lorenzen conversation. And uh, no Castro, no bullpen help, no right-handed power bat. All the things I said last week, they remain true. So put that on the record. All right. I'm Ben Kenny. It's on the clock. We will check in on some big races going down the stretch. Coming up next. All right. We are back. Ben Kenny with you. On the clock, Sports Radio 94, WIP, and Phillies 24-7. A couple of things to hit on before we get out of here. Number one, uh, the NL wildcard race continues to be electrifying and crazy. Every time we check in every week, there's always something new that's happening or a, a new team falls, a new team rises. This is where things stand. It's Thursday afternoon before the Phillies play the Mets. Phils are up four on the last spot. The Diamondbacks are up one and a half. So the Phils have two and a half on the Diamondbacks, 
who have won, I think, five straight and are playing awesome baseball after they had gone through a mini slide. Behind them is the uh, the Mar. Oh no, the Cubs are are in the final spot. The Marlins are right behind them, half a game. The Reds are are one game back of them, and then uh, the Giants and Padres are pretty much dead. They've th- those slides have happened. Gabe Kapler's team is imploding yet again in September. It's a it's a crazy race right now because it feels like the Phillies have a stranglehold on number one. Phillies have four at home against the Mets, three against Pittsburgh, and three in New York against the Mets. In order to be overtaken, they need to have a terrible 10 games and the Diamondbacks need to have a great 10 games. I'm going to say that's not going to be happening. Beside from that, everybody's bunched up and, and the schedules are very, very interesting. Arizona has three against the Yankees, three against the White Sox, and three against Houston. So you're talking about two easy teams and a hard one. They would need to go 500, say, to keep their spot. The Cubs now are home against Colorado. Then they are in Atlanta and in Milwaukee. Two really hard series after an easy one. Um, And the other two teams, Miami and Cincinnati, somewhat easy. Maybe a, a tough team thrown in there. A lot can happen, but it looks like I would project the Phillies play the Diamondbacks in the first round. The Diamondbacks or the Cubs. I would really doubt if it's Miami. Who would I want to face? I I think that's a longer topic for next week's show. Um, The Cubs are kind of low on the... Like, I don't want to face the Cubs. Weird vibes coming from them. They have the pitching. And they have, again, weird offensive energy right now. I would love to face the Reds if they could somehow get up there. I'd be okay, but not thrilled to face the Marlins. Like, the Phillies know them too well. That's a matchup that happens way too often to feel comfortable. I'd be okay with the Diamondbacks. They're a young team. They have the pitching, but the Phils have hit them, and they've played them really good. So that's the NL wild card. There's also a crazy race going on in the AL West, where Houston is up a half game on both Seattle and Texas. Texas has taken a slide. DeGrom's down, Scherzer's down. They're like the Mets, but in Texas. Um, And Seattle had that crazy jump. The remaining schedule is going to make for, if you want to watch a story over the last two weeks of the season, this is the story to watch. Houston plays at home against Kansas City, in Seattle, and in Arizona. Pretty challenging, especially like they're facing Seattle. Um, Kansas City would be a pushover. Meanwhile, Seattle faces Texas for three, Houston for three, and then Texas for four. Like they, They're just facing their competitors directly. So Seattle might dictate it, where if they go seven and three, eight and two, you could talk about them winning the division. Texas, meanwhile, has Seattle for three, the Angels for three, and then Seattle again for four. So they're playing each other. Great scheduling done here. Uh, and, and that's going to come down to probably the final day where... Um, I believe all of them are going to make the playoffs. Actually, as things stand, uh, Toronto has a one-game lead on the loser of that division in the wild card. So it might be that not all the teams make the playoffs. But I was thinking quickly where, okay, a lot of teams make it, but not everybody has a real shot to do it. The Phillies last year, you would have said they had a shot because they had the talent. And you knew what the upside could be if it just all came together at the right time, which it did this year. Who were the actual contenders? I, I, I separated it into, into four sections. 
And we'll run this quick before we get to the Phillies' upcoming schedule for this week or this weekend and on. The favorites. Now, I don't think I have every playoff team, but, uh, you know, you tune into the show not for uh, deliberate accuracy. You, You tune into it for the angles to it. You need to know. If I miss teams, then, again, don't complain at me. Complain to Dan Wilson. It's his fault. The favorites. The Atlanta Braves, the LA Dodgers, and the Houston Astros. I don't need to explain it. They're the best teams. They're frightening, frankly. Uh, And the Phillies would have to go through all three of them, probably, in order to win, which is not the best news. Teams where it would be no surprise if they won. They're not a favorite, but no surprise. The Baltimore Orioles, who have been one of the best teams, yet are still young and maybe not there. This is where I put the Phillies. They're not a favorite, but nobody would be surprised if they did it after last year. And then Tampa. They had the crazy start to the year. They've fallen off. But if that pitching clicks, then they're dangerous. The long shots, who I would bet against, but I would not, I'm not going to say they have no chance. That would be Seattle slash Texas, whoever gets in from them. Toronto, the Milwaukee Brewers, and the Cubs. Now, the Brewers are closer to no surprise than the other teams just because of what those horses in the rotation can do. But that's where I see those five. And then finally, teams that have no chance. The Arizona Diamondbacks and the Minnesota Twins. I like The Twins have not won a playoff series, I think, in my lifetime. They are Dallas Cowboy-esque in get to the playoffs, lose. And I feel bad because they've had some good teams. But if there are any guarantees in life, one of them is the Minnesota Twins will lose in the playoffs. So there you go. That's playoff tiers. We'll get into that more coming up next week when we get closer to all of it getting underway. All right. It's on the clock. I'm Ben Kenny. We close it out next. Look ahead to the pitching matchups for the weekend. What the Phillies have on deck. We'll be right back. All right. We're back on the clock. Ben Kenny closing it out. By the time you listen to this, this game will have already happened. So I don't know why there's a point in telling you, but Ranger Suarez pitches on Thursday um, against the Mets Peterson. I think that's going to be another really good start. And if it is, I'll clip this and post it and look smart. Uh, if it's not a good start, then I'll completely ignore it. And if you're listening to this, then then you know. Friday, McGill against Taiwan Walker. They have similar numbers. This is It's a good thing this game is on Apple TV Plus because it gives me an excuse not to watch Taiwan Walker pitch. I, I'm taking that as a W. I just, I, I can't do it anymore. It is infuriating watching him trying to get outs. Saturday, you have Wheeler against Jose Quintana. Uh, And again, this is a four-game set. Quintana has been the Mets' best guy or the most consistent guy. He's old. The Phillies have already obviously seen him. And then Sunday, you get Chris Sanchez. I don't know if it's going to be a piggyback start there against this youngster on the Mets, Budo, who has been really good uh, since coming up. Jose Budo. He is 1-2 with a 3.09. 32 innings pitch, so just a couple starts. I mean, if the Phillies could clinch, this is a four-game series. The Phillies could clinch a playoff spot this weekend at Citizens Bank Park. Um, and they come back to face Pittsburgh on that next Tuesday, September 26th, and they have a three-game set at home. So they're going to clinch it at home against either the Mets or the Pirates. I would hope by the time we talk next week, by the time they travel to New York, that the number one wild card spot is locked up. And if that's the case, then we could look ahead to the playoffs not have to worry about collapsing on the road. And we could see how, how Rob Thompson sets up his team for that run that is to come. 
So that's the hope. You have seven, six games. These four, uh, no, that's seven. Yeah, four against the Mets, three against the Pirates. A, a five and two stretch does it. A four and three stretch might, depending on on other teams losing. So that's what I'm looking for. I mean, the continuation of the good things we've seen, we're not going to see Nola against the Mets, unfortunately. And hopefully the bullpen can turn it around. That's what I'm looking for this weekend. As always, we thank you for checking in. We'll talk at the same time next week. See ya. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.